0: Hello and welcome to The Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Dobigen, and welcome back to the MMA podcast for the fans, by the fans. I know why you're here. I know why you're listening to this podcast. It's because you can't even read. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I know why you're here. You are here to hear about one thing and one thing only. That is Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather's World Press Tour. So let's hop right into it. Last week, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather kickstarted the promotion for their fight with a four-day World Press Tour with stops in Los Angeles, California, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Brooklyn, New York, and London, England. First thoughts, pretty uneven. It was a pretty uneven show, I have to admit. Los Angeles was very stilted. The format was clearly not to McGregor's strengths of having that verbal back and forth. It was like two guys got up on stage and took turns giving their Oscar acceptance speech, but without the music to cut them off when it got too boring. And, of course, McGregor's microphone went out. Who knows why? So it was up and down. It was uneven. McGregor hit on some good points, but it was pretty uneven. Toronto was absolutely incendiary. McGregor was on his game, and he brought it. The crowd was really into it. I mean, I don't know how worried we should all be about the state of society when you had 17,000 people at Ontario Place swearing at the top of their lungs, fuck the Mayweathers. A- an incredible scene, regardless of how you feel about the message of it, but the Brooklyn press conference was a dud. Not much to talk about there, except maybe m- what McGregor was wearing. And then the London, the London press conference was pretty similar to the Toronto leg, but a- at times it felt more like a London, Ontario version. Of the press conference. Up and down. Uneven. That was the whole thing for me. So ultimately what the tour kind of came across as was, it was a bit like watching a Netflix show. You know, you binge watch this Netflix show. You watch one episode and then the next. And all of a sudden you've ended the whole season in two nights. And in hindsight, you totally regret it. Because two or three of the episodes, you could have lived with the rest felt exactly the same so in in large part it felt a bit like a waste of time it didn't hype the fight for me any more than it was already any hype that i would have had going into it so i think ultimately this comes across more like a cultural moment not a true blue sporting event and everything that comes with that i mean this was not this was not a safe for way work kind of thing this is not something that you bring home this is not something you show to your kids i guarantee you if they were trying to hype this fight well they've already alienated the african-american female population the gay population uh who else gosh i mean they went over the line on a lot of things According to Dana White, he of all this world and wisdom, there's no such thing as going over the line. But, I mean, let's be real here. All they're doing is promoting a boxing match. You know, some of that stuff is kind of unnecessary. So when I'm looking at it, and when they're saying the things they're saying and, and the way they're doing it, that it felt like it felt like this was a joke where the punchline comes first, and on August twenty sixth, that's when we're gonna get the part of the where we don't care anymore. That's the part where that's the laughter. I mean Mayweather yelling hard work, hard work. I don't even know what people were yelling back. You know, and then he kept on punctuating everything with yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and even at the Toronto press conference, he pointed to the team Mayweather shirt that had the Canadian flag in it and referred to it as the Toronto flag. I mean, McGregor called out Steven Espinoza, the head of Showtime Sports, and called him a weasel. You know, the guy who's basically making this fight happen without him. You know, this, this, you know, he's as important to this as any, anybody as McGregor, as Mayweather. Now, in the end, McGregor, McGregor he, you know, he came across as the total package as a showman. I mean, he's, he's got everything you want as a promoter. He's funny, but he's aggressive like a fighter should be. He's colorful. At times, it hurts him, but he's very colorful, and he's very natural. But even he couldn't save this production from all the underlying problems, all the, all the, the impression that it gave on the whole, which was that this was a very cynical thing. It was a very cynical press tour. These two are manufacturing our interest, and it's working. You know, all I needed to know was the expression on Mayweather's face at the London presser when McGregor rubbed his bald head and Dana did the whole, oh, don't touch him, and we had been hearing for, oh, he can't touch him, they're not allowed to touch him. Mayweather was smiling. He was digging it. These guys are as much like business partners, maybe more so than they are competitors. You know, this came across like a bit of a, an edgy charity boxing match press conference. The most expensive charity boxing match ever, but the charity cases are the two wealthiest people in the room. And we're giving them our money. Because my la- my last point... I will say, the only doubt I have that Conor McGregor is going to get owned in this fight is this. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather are far more similar than they're given credit for. Mayweather may be the son of a boxer, grew up in Michigan, was bred for this game, while McGregor is an Irishman who was a plumber almost, not what, six years ago or so. But they have very similar mindsets when it comes to managing their careers. They look for big paydays and are very careful building towards them. Mayweather has made a career out of catching guys at the right time. You can criticize this all you want, but it has worked. He caught Oscar De La Hoya riding a 2-2 two and two streak, and then De La Hoya retired two fights later. He caught Manny Pacquiao some you know, four or five years after most people figured they should fight. And as we've seen, Pac-Man hasn't been the same fighter. He caught Ricky Hatton when Ricky was getting old, and he caught Canelo Alvarez when Canelo was just a bit too young. So in the back of my mind, I have to wonder if Conor McGregor has not done a masterful job at getting this fight at the right time. Mayweather is 40, two years removed from his last fight. If he were fighting a true contender in his own sport in boxing, this would be the recipe for disaster against McGregor. He's banking on, well, everything that people have talked about, all the abilities, all the advantages he has in this fight. But McGregor is smart. Maybe he's catching Mayweather at the right time. Maybe his size. Maybe his power. Maybe all those things are going to bridge the gap. Maybe Mayweather won't be quick, won't be quick enough. Maybe. Who knows? We'll have to tune in August 26th. I don't expect any of that to happen, but I'm fascinated by the idea. What's funny is Months and years of hype are going to be siphoned down into a three-minute round, which will tell us everything we need to know. Once that first round's done, we'll know. We'll know. Oh. August 26th. I'll see you there. All right. I'll see you there. I'll see you guys there. I'll be watching with you, too. Enough with McGregor. Enough with Mayweather. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm not going to give it any more lip service than I got to give it. Because we got some fights that we can talk about. Real fights. True blue sporting events. Two competitors. Going at it. Standing in a cage and the door locks. This past weekend was UFC fight night Glasgow. Pretty good event. I would say, on the whole. A couple of very strange knockouts. Khalil Roundtree. Boy, I tell you what, that guy has some serious power. The way he got his knockout over Paul Craig, he threw a right overhand. It hit Craig on the shoulder and kind of deflected off his shoulder and then just sort of flicked the back of Craig's ear. And Craig's legs went out for owner. I couldn't tell if that's what did it because Craig then kind of lurched forward, and they collided heads a bit, and that's when Craig really went down. But based on the replay, it looks like the the punch did it. But deflecting off his shoulder, I mean, that takes most of the power out of the punch, and yet it still wobbled him. Man, that's some power. Uh, the the amazingly named Galore Bofondo galore, violence galore, baby, knocked out Charlie Ward with a throw. Kind of an old Tim Boshi, big bear strength kind of throw where he just sort of tossed him over his hip, but Ward face-planted and was knocked out. This wasn't like a big old slam, like a Matt Hughes on Carlos Newton slam. This wasn't uh, a vintage Rampage Jack. It was kind of like he just... Threw him face first into the ground, and he was knocked out. So a couple real strange knockouts. Elsewhere on the card, Paul Felder did what he does, deliver some hellacious violence. Boy, those those elbows on Stevie Ray were absolutely vicious. He he reeled back and dove onto Stevie Ray's face. Uh. Great fight. Kind of hard to watch that knockout, admittedly. Um, but that's the fight game. That's the fight game. Paul Felder, always good for an action fight. But the big fight on the card, the one that everyone's really talking about right now, was a matchup of, you know, top 15 welterweights. Now, I've written about this before. The welterweight division is very old. I think three, two of the top... Top 10 guys in that division are under the age of 30 and barely. And Nelson was one of them. The other one was Neil Magny. This is a very old division, and it needs some new blood to step up and start you know, making, making noise. So Santiago Ponzanibio and Gunnar Nelson went at it in kind of a prove-yourself fight. And Ponzanibio ultimately was the one who proved himself. And another excellent showing. It's his fourth finish in six fights, all wins, six-fight win streak. So for for Ponzinibbio, this is a significant scalp. Nelson was the more famous guy. He was a higher-ranked guy, and he took him out in one round. You know, this definitely positions him to take on a guy somewhere between the four to eight range, maybe. And he's a very exciting fighter. He's he's. He's definitely got a lot of tools that you want to see. He's kind of on trend with a lot of the, the style uh, that seems to be working or really progressing. Guys who can throw a lot of volume, who have a good punch variety—not just punch variety, but striking variety. They can, they can choose, uh, they can pick and choose their their strikes. Good combo fighter, good cardio. Comfortable in the pocket so we'll be excited to see where he goes from here But Nelson, I mean, I don't know This was this was a significant loss for him. It makes him three and three in those last six fights and And it once again draws uh, calls into question if he has the rounded out enough game to make it as a top five guy, a lot has been made by analysts about Nelson's limited striking, and in his losses, these weaknesses have shown up in a big, big way. Nelson, you know, Nelson is a very defined outfighter, which means he wants to be outside of range or pretty much right in tight, close clinch range. But he's also a very defined pot shot fighter. He likes to throw one shot, maybe two at times. Not a big combo guy. You know, so... It's proven now that once you get Nelson in mid-range, where most exchanges take place, the longer the exchanges happen, the more dangerous it becomes because he can't... He can't get himself out. And he he he, he can get touched. Once he starts trading combos in, in that range, he's going to get clipped. And there's... Increasingly, a lot of MMA fighters, a lot of welterweights, guys who are comfortable in that range, and he's not. And that's where Ponzinibbio caught him. You know, disappointing setback for him, really disappointing. You have to wonder if he will ever develop into the title contender that so many hope he could be. I don't know. So that was UFC Fight Night Glasgow. Satisfying. Satisfying. Definitely more satisfying than watching the Floyd Mayweather-Conor McGregor press conference. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was. It was actual fighting. It was actual competition. It wasn't two guys basically laughing at us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for that. But I'm only going to accept the mail from people who can read. Read. Now, this weekend is UFC Fight Night, Long Island. Now, right at the top of the card, good old New York boy. Chris Weidman versus Calvin Gastelum. The only read I got on this fight is that the Chris Weidman deconstruction continues. Once again, once again, he makes a terrible career choice taking on another hot-as-shit fighter right now in Kelvin Gaslam, and a guy who's got all the skills to overwhelm him. I mean, we saw what Weidman looked like against Vitor Belfort when Belfort burst on him and came in with with combinations and was throwing volume. Weidman is very much a pressure fighter. He likes to walk you down with his positioning and overwhelm you with his presence. He wants to be in front of you all the time. He is terrible when the game is played like that against him. When he's on the back foot, he's a completely different fighter and he can be overwhelmed. And Kelvin Gaslam is an overwhelming kind of striker. He's going to come at him with volume. He's going to come at him with with a variety of strikes. And he's quick. He's nimble. He's got great movement. And Wideman seems to be slowing down athletically. Now, in his favor, he's definitely a large middleweight, and Gaslam is an undersized middleweight. But Gaslam has all the same kind of abilities that Robert Whitaker has used to his advantage. That speed, that quickness, that movement, that punch variety. He can use those things to stay one step ahead of Wyman at every time. I do not see this ending well for Chris Weidman. I hope it... I, you know, this is one of those fights where you got to go one way or the other. And I want to see Kelvin Gastelum contending. I have been excited on, high on this guy for a long time. I know a lot of people have been. I want to see him contending. And if that's at Chris Weidman's expense, if that's, if that's what Chris Weidman gets for choosing a tough matchup, for deciding, you know what, I want to lose another one. I want to take a hard-ass fight instead of getting back on track. Fine. Fine. Elsewhere on the card, Jimmy Rivera versus Tomas Almeida. Baby. Baby, we are cooking with gas on this one. We're cooking with gas, and we're dumping propane all over the barbecue And then we're lighting the deck on fire. This is a fire-hot fight. At this point, while Tomas Ameda is a fantastic, exciting fighter, he may be more famous for launching Cody Garbrandt's claim for a title shot after being put out by Garbrandt last year. Garbrandt now, the bantamweight champion, put him to sleep. Really stopped his hype train. Now Almeida recovered nicely with a KO of Albert Morales, but he's right back into the thick of it against a really high-quality fighter and a guy who's on the ascension. Similar to similarly to Cody Garbrandt, Jimmy Rivera is a guy on the ascent. He's only getting better. Rivera is the higher-ranked of the two guys. So this has huge title implication. It has title implications. And it's the first fight on the main card. That pisses me off. This should be co-maining this fight. or This should be co-maining this card. I'm sorry. But it's not. And this is the best fight on the card. Rivera is an explosive, strong athlete. Uh, he's he's a guy who has the ability to match his volume, uh, Almeida's volume on the feet, I think. They both throw a lot of strikes. He's got excellent cardio, and he can grapple. So this is going to be an interesting fight. You know, I think the, the, the key may be how well Almeida does... How present he is within the pocket within striking range because he has proven that when he's in the pocket he is there to be hit he sticks around just a bit too long and he can get caught it's gotten him in trouble before it's gotten him in trouble before maybe he's hoping that you know he his ability to almost like ignore no opening discriminate against no targets He mixes up his strike, and if he sees a target, he attacks it. And he throws a ridiculous six and a half strikes per minute. That is a torrent pace. Maybe he's hoping that's what's going to get him through. But Rivera is a guy who can match that volume. He's proven he can match the volume, and he's a proven counter-striker. So of these two guys, the one that's going to be more dangerous off the back foot in those exchanges is probably going to be Rivera. In simple terms, these are two of the fastest risers in the division who throw in volume and throw often. This is the best fight on the card, and I am salivating over it. I can't wait. When I'm watching this fight, I'm going to think, I'm going to watch this fight over and over. I would take this any day over Mayweather, McGregor, Press Tour. Yeah, that's right. I threw it under the bus again. Elsewhere on the card, Ryan LaFleur against Cowboy Oliveira. Another great matchup between two large dudes for their division in the welterweight division. These are two big guys. Both of them are uh, pushing for an elite matchup. Laffleur was gone for over a year before returning this February with a good win against Juan Carnero, and he really needed it. You know, he had some. T- he was on the ascension before getting hurt, and this win gets him right back in the thick of things. But Oliveira, meanwhile, uh, spent you know most of his career so far in the UFC feasting on undersized lightweights. You know, he's he's famous for for breaking Will Brooks's rib, destroying his. Uh, UFC debut and giving him the crotch shot after the fight. Now he's hoping to catch on as a welterweight. And I'm very excited for this fight. It has a lot of implications. And both of these guys can go. Great cardio. They can go. I think it's going to end up turning into a grappling match, but who knows? Sometimes when you get two guys who kind of like to do similar things, they cancel each other out. So this fight could either be contested largely against the cage with these guys leaning against each other or it's all in the center of the ring because they keep each other off the cage. Who knows? Either way, I'm excited. More excited about this fight than Conor McGregor versus... Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I could have talked about Conor and Floyd a little bit more, but you know what? I'm waiting until August 26th, baby. That's when I'm going to talk about this. That's when That's when we're going to see whether we, whether we even sold wolf tickets. I sure hope we aren't. Alright, I'm done. I'm done talking about it. I'm done. I want to thank you for joining me once again. This has been The Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Go read some books. I am out.